I bid you welcome. God, We all go a little mad sometimes. We accept a one of us. We accept a one of us. What's your favorite scary movie? Wolfman's got an Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Home is Where the Horror is, a podcast dedicated to our love of horror. I'm your host, Brian. And I'm Monica. We've been away for a little bit. Yeah. Had a few floods in the house. Yep. And, uh, yeah, just crazy general life. But we are finally back. We've, man, during that time, did we watch a lot of other horror movies? I feel like we watched a few. I'm trying to think what we actually watched. My mind is just blah. Yeah, it's been a little bit. Like, I feel like we watch more mainstream movies, not as much horror. Yeah. I don't know why I ask you, because I know you, I, I, you always look right back at me like, what are you talking about? I have the worst memory. I don't, <laughs> we turn a movie off, and I forget what we just watched. No, but to keep us kind of on track, because the last movie we did was Leprechaun, and we decided we were going to, um, you know, not do a specific theme, but we did kind of want to coordinate a little more. So we, I created a list like I love to do and did a little random num- number generation. And uh, for the next two movies, we're going to be covering um, found, footage. found footage style. So to be fair, it's basically the idea of like Blair Witch, anything shaky cam that isn't is supposed to be shot from someone within the groups like POV. This can include other movies, but... Um, yeah, so, you know, it, we keep our rules very simple, but what did you decide to go with this week? So, I really like this movie. Um, it's definitely very interesting. So, I decided to go with As Above, So Below. Yeah, and we saw this, we didn't see it in the theaters, right? No. No, but we definitely, we've watched it, we watched it at least once before. Mm-hmm. Um Maybe the same year it came out because I hadn't seen it. Like, I could remember just the smallest bits of this one before we watched it. And I remember before we watched it, I thought, for some reason, it didn't grasp me. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't have a a big love for it. But my opinion may have changed, at least a little bit. Yeah. Um, So why don't we first go ahead and just go over some general information for the movie, when Mm -hmm. they come out and everything. So it was released August 29th of 2014. Uh, it was directed by John Eric Dowdle, who actually um, directed Quarantine Okay. and Devil. I can see the Quarantine style. Devil is quite different. Mm-hmm. Both really good movies, though. They're I really, both, I really yeah. like... I mean, Quarantine obviously being a remake of REC. Devil... Devil's like a weird one where... I like it, but I don't know if I need to watch it. Like, like I've seen it at least once, mm-hmm. and I, it's not that I don't like it. I, I don't know. It just is like once you know the surprise, yeah. it, it's like a lot of M Night Shyamalan movies where they're great films, but if you, if there's a big surprise and you know it, it takes a little bit away. Yeah, but yeah, yeah so that's interesting. Okay, mm-hmm. um, so it stars. Uh, 
Perdita Weeks as Scarlet, Ben Fieldman as George, Edwin Hodge as Benji, and Francois Seville as Papillon. Y'all be honest, the only one that looked semi-familiar was Papillon. Or no, 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 her friend uh, George. George, yeah. Yeah, I, I really didn't really know any of these people before. I think I just realized what he was in. Who? George. George is the guy that she like, yeah, yeah, hooks yeah. up with. I think he was in the remake of Friday the 13th. I think at the beginning, he's like the drug guy that gets killed. Hmm. I could be completely wrong here, hmm. but I'm going to go out on a limb and say... That's where I've seen it. I've seen his face before. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. So the runtime of 93 minutes. Now, the budget was $5 million. So what do you think the box office was? I thought this one did, like, gangbusters. I thought this made, like, $100 million. 41.9. Oh. So it's bit still of a different. not, I mean, it's not still, 100, but definitely. It, it, yeah, made up. Made up for yeah. everything. Yeah. Um, so the basic gist of it is Scarlet is an alchemy scholar, and she's continuing the work of her dead father in search of the Philosopher's Stone, which is capable of turning base metals into gold or silver and also grants eternal life. So her search leads her to Paris, where she enlists the aides of George, who's like an ex-flame, and he is an Aramaic translator, mm -hmm. and then some French natives to go into the catacombs and search for the stone. Yeah, that's a good way to sum it up. Some would say she's like the female Indiana Jones. Pretty much, yeah. 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 Maybe on a little darker side. She's cute, too. Yeah, she's very adorable. Yeah. Um, I, I'll tell you what. I liked her. It Like, she's convincing. She's yeah. not over the top. Mm -hmm. She has her vulnerable moment, moments. But, like, you believe she's just so driven to find this thing. Yeah. That you, like, get... You're like, damn, I kind of want to go with her. Yeah. You know, like, it, but I, I feel bad for everyone who agrees to go with her yeah i'll just yeah. say that i feel real bad like i think everyone believes in her the same way except for george who kept saying i'm not going yeah i'm not going and ends up going um yeah it kind of sucks for the cameraman especially mm -hmm. so yeah no it's a very interesting take and we'll get to it later but it is worth mentioning I mean, the whole thing was filmed in the catacombs. Yeah. So this was the first movie to ever get approval to do that. And that's one of my fun facts. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm, getting, I'm getting looks of death for some reason. I might have that listed somewhere else. Oh, okay. Um, so now what are the uh, post-mortem breakdowns? So... There's only four kills. From what I looked up, it said six. Hmm. One, two, three, four. Well, spoilers ahead. So let's think about this. So we got, we know the cameraman dies. Yeah. We know the one French chick dies. Yeah. We know the guy dies when he's pulled into the car. Mm -hmm. um, the, you could count the dad as being dead because you see him hung. Yeah. Um, the that guy that was already down there did we see he didn't him? die we didn't see he him di die no, no no he didn't die we thought he died but then remember he's the one who came back and and smashed the chick's face into the stone but didn't they i thought they killed him right after didn't they? no i think they ran i think from him okay but then do you count the stone creatures they destroyed i did not count those no okay 
So maybe if you count those. Yeah. So I, I have I have the dad hanging, the girl attacked by the friend that was down there, Benji, who is a cameraman who fell, and then the Papillon. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. So, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, there's one nude scene. Not the greatest. No. There were some. Just ha- some there were boobs. some old old lady hangers. Yeah. Uh, two Murphy's Law, one fall, eight screams, and for reoccurring, we went with anomalies, like just very out of the ordinary, supernaturally kind of yeah. things. There's 15 of those. Um, there was like names on the walls that they were never in, a phone just randomly down there ringing, piano um, in the middle of the catacombs, a sound of like the void. Um, yep. where they should hear noise. Uh, there was a little boy yep. down there, um, the perfectly preserved body after yeah. God knows how long. The Knights Templar, you mean? Um, the door disappeared, uh, the wall people. Yep. There was a person in a chair just <laughs> that, you mean that the, had, like, the smoke. You yeah. do know who that is, right? Yeah. That's supposed to be the devil. Oh, is that? Yeah. Okay. And then, of course, the car... I mean, basically, it's funny because once you said that, you were going to track that. And as we started watching, almost everything they saw could have been categorized. But those are the more specific. Like the canal of blood in the hands. She sees herself hanging and then it winds up being her dad hanging. So I because before we watched this, I remembered the phone and the piano. Yeah. But like I couldn't really remember the other things. But I was like, but once we started like tallying it up, then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Pretty good. Um, so actually, remember, just remember about the phone ringing. Just remember about that for later. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, I'm I'm gonna jump into some fun facts, like as we talk about them, because I feel like it's better just to throw them out there. But you know, because they filmed in the catacombs and none of it was a set, they actually hired people to bring the piano down yeah and the car and they actually lit the car on fire yeah yeah yeah. yeah. so i'm like i you and i were in the catacombs and you know we know they're huge and all this and that but i feel like even in like a more secure tunnel i'd be very weary about lighting a car on fire down there like that's kind of weird um but yeah could you imagine being a mover like all right what's our job yeah well we gotta move piano all right where the catacombs what yeah like, from what I remember, granted, where they were is, like, not just the skull parts, but um, I felt like the corridors were pretty small. There were some sections I think it opened up, but... Yeah. Well, well, well you know, you might hear a little bit more about the catacombs later. <laughs> That's a possibility. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's just jump right into the movie and things we loved. Um overarching and based on what you just said i must say you didn't realize this and it's what made me love this movie a lot more the whole movie is an analogy for dante's inferno okay so the different levels so the very first when they're in the like underpass and they're about to go Mm -hmm. that's actually supposed to be the gates of hell Mm -hmm. once they pass through there Every section is kind of set up. Like, when they see the nude occultist before they drop down. Okay. This is, like, leading towards the gates of hell where it's just there's the shore of the dam where you you hear chanting and screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, when they go down and they find that guy, 
he is in purgatory. He's okay. not he's not dead. And that's why he's able to move fast, but that's why he's also not able to go with them. Like, they're all soaking wet, and he's still dry, because he's not able to traverse any further. Gotcha. He's stuck in that purgatory. Hmm. Every other level is one way or another. Um, the one you mentioned, the vortex, that yeah. was the level that for lust, and it's supposed to represent the vortex, the tornado, which is supposed to be so loud. Because once they hear nothing, and then it becomes so loud, it's yeah. supposed to be like that vortex from lust which you know that's just a whirlwind of couples banging and stuff yeah. um the one level when you hear a dog that's supposed to be cerberus like in, okay um when and, and uh when the guy dies by getting pulled into the car and his feet stick out that's a punishment for people in violence who um you know, he, he basically, it was his fault that the guy died in a burning car. Gotcha. So, everything is an analogy to, uh, once again, Dante's Inferno. Um, even down to, at the end, when you see that wooden chair, that's that's Satan's throne. And the, the hooded figure who's smoldering, mm-hmm. that's Satan. And if you look at his face, it's actually, they did it in an interesting way. They made him look like an ange- like a, a disfigured angelic figure because mm-hmm. he's a fallen angel. Yeah. Um, and all those stone creatures are supposed to be like Cain, Judas, Ptolemy, like all these characters. So the first guy, like stone thing that bites him is actually like they kind of reference that as Cain. Gotcha. Um, and that's the reason why when they go down the last hole, everything inverses. Because if you remember from Dante's Inferno... The way Virgil and Dante have to escape is going through the belly button of Satan, who's at the center of the earth, and escape through his navel. And through there, everything is inverse, including gravity, which is why that happens to them. Mm -hmm. So they go through, like, that final thing, which is why everything gets kind of shifted. So putting all that together, that's the biggest thing I love. Like, I do like that they were in catacombs, Mm -hmm. but you know me. I, I love Dante's Inferno. And I didn't actually never read Dante's Inferno. Divorce. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been, I actually, like, one time I, I was, like, going to start it, but it's, like, 10,000 pages long. The that's book is one of the, ginormous. That's one, I've probably read that all the way through it, like, four or five times. I really, really have always liked it. Um, it is a bit of a read, but it's one, like, I don't know, it's just, it's, I've always liked it. Yeah. Um, but what about you, now that I spoke long enough? So I, what I really, really like about this, because like I said, we have been to the catacombs. Like, they do a really good job at, like, just depicting, like, the claustrophobia of everything. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it's tight, like, narrow hallways. Like, there are areas that are bigger, but, like, they do a really good job, like, playing off that fear. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I put this and probably, like, The Descent as the yeah. two best movies I ever did claustrophobia. Yeah. And granted, this one they claim, like, basically shot for shot, the scene when the guy's crawling through mm-hmm. and it gets stuck and then collapses, that's exactly what happened in The Descent. Like, yeah. almost identically. Yeah. It was kind of weird. But, uh, yeah, no, those movies, um, I don't consider myself a claustrophobic person, but when, the, when you see those scenes and people get stuck, mm-hmm. I put myself in that mindset. I'm like, I can't even imagine... Like, how much you'd be freaking out if you were in that spot. So, yeah. Anything else you really liked about it? Um, Okay. Um, What about dislikes? So, I am just not 
fan of the whole shaky cam thing. Okay. Um, it just kind of gives me a headache. So this one wasn't too bad. Yeah. But I, I just, I, I appreciate it, but it, it's just the visual thing for me that I have a hard time with. Yeah. Um, shaky cams, I, I'm kind of with you. I, in general, my issue with them is some logic always ends up going out the door. Now, a lot of movies do what this one did, like at the beginning when the camera guy's like setting everyone else up with cameras. Yeah, that so was a good it, idea. So it's a way to explain different camera, camera angles. But here's the deal. Remember like once a camera guy dies, but they're like, oh, like somebody else, go pick it up. Mm-hmm. Like, why? Yeah. Like, I think the only way they tried to get around it was it had a light on it. Yeah. But really, like, in so many movies, you see that happen all the time, where someone <clears throat> drops a camera and somebody else picks up, and all of a sudden, they're just as good of a cameraman. Yeah. Like, operating a camera, like, the focus, this and that, like, I don't know. That's where you, all of a sudden, it takes me out of it. When, like, you, the camera becomes less of a POV and more of, like, a thing that you have to think about. I don't know. It just, uh, it can take you out of the film. Mm-hmm. But, no, I think the only thing I didn't like, um, even though it's 93 minutes, the movie feels long. It does, yeah. Like, there's a, such a slow pace. And there are plenty of little weird things that happen, but it can, it tends to drag on. And then, like, as much of a twist as it is, once they find the fake Philosopher's Stone... And they, then they're, like, backtracking, and you're kind of re-seeing everything again. Mm-hmm. I kind of am like, uh, okay, like, I'm starting to lo- lose it a little bit. Yeah. Because then you're, like, losing track of, like, well, what was that again? What is it? Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a movie where you probably get most benefit out of watching it twice. Yeah. But, like I said, it feels long, so you might not want to. Mm-hmm. So what about, uh, what about your specific scenes? All right. So, um... One of the things I would say, like, in the beginning, so, which I I think is just crazy, like, just for these type of people in general. So, she's trying to find information, like, how to get, like, where the Philosopher's Stone is. So, her dad killed himself and hung, you know, hung himself. And um, she starts out in Iran, and, like, they're in, like, this underground, like, they're about to blow it up. Like, in a... It just makes me think, like, those investigative journalists and stuff. Like, they're crazy. Like, they really are. Like, she is literally sitting there, and she finds this bowl. Was it? Like, it was, like, a bowl. It was a big bowl that had, like, a lot of their resentment. The Aramaic. Yeah, had, like, Aramaic and stuff like that on it. But, like, you hear the sirens. Like, they're about to blow it up, and she's still, like, video recording. And then, like, she's running at the last second, like, as, like, the it's place blowing is blowing up. up. Like, yeah. It, it, it added a level of, like, it would have been, uh, if I would have liked to have seen that shot a little differently, the only thing they try to throw in there is you notice when she first comes out and you do see the flash of her dad hanging. Yeah. Um, and I think she even says, like, what the, and I wish it was slower paced because kind of like the exorcist, like at the beginning of that, when he finds the Zuzu statue, mm-hmm. the Zuzu or whatever, I, you could have, like, she could have found the bowl. It could have been a little more ominous, and like the scripture and stuff. Like, 
And it could have just been more like creepy, subtle flashes of things Mm -hmm. and gotten across like, oh, this is going to send her on a crazy journey. Instead, you're like, that's also why I say it's like Indiana Jones. It's like very like Temple of Doom-ish, like the boulder's coming. In this case, it's an explosion. Mm -hmm. Get out. So I I don't know. It was an interesting choice for that scene. Um, I actually, the first one I want to talk about was when they're in the club and the chicken white. Yeah. Who later becomes cultist. Just how she's staring. Like, it's not... At first, she walks by them and stares. And you're like, oh, well, she's being weird because there's, like, a camera in her face. But then she's outside the club walking and still staring. She's, she just looks... She's, she's crazy looking. She's extremely creepy. And nothing to that point, except for her seeing a flash of her hanging father, has really... Like, you're out of it. You're just like, what are they doing? They're trying yeah. to find this thing. Seeing that, like, gives you just the littlest hint. And when she shows up again later, you're like, ah, that crazy bitch. So, yeah, um, that scene gets to me. For some reason, when you get a creepy-looking check on shaky cam or or found footage videos and they're staring at the camera from a distance where you're not really focusing, that gets me every time. Well, I have um, when they're actually – they're starting to enter the catacombs and they're crawling through the pile of bones. And Benji, the camera guy, gets stuck. And he starts having, like, this massive panic attack. And you just see, like, how claustrophobic everything is. Like, he's stuck. He can't. And, like, he's literally trying to scrape the bones away. That's kind of creepy. Yeah. That guy did a great job. Like, he uh, he sold that scene really, really yeah. well. Like, even his, I think too often, and I, I mentioned the descent earlier, but too often it's, like, almost all panic. He's, like, kind of angry. Yeah. He's, like, just move. Like, yeah. Like, like I feel. I felt like that's me. Yeah. Like, I would react to say, like, like get the just, fuck out of my just way. Just get the fuck out of my way. Like, like just stop. Because everyone's like, oh, da, da. he's like, hold on, I'm freaking out here. Yeah. I can't breathe. Like, that was one of the more legit reactions I've seen in a scene like that. So, yeah. that, that is a good one. I went right to the piano. Uh, once again, it's another one, it's a subtle one. But you're like, one, why is there a piano down here? Yeah. But when he's, like, describing, he's like, yeah, it looks like the one me and my brother played. And that one key is always off. Yeah. And then he touches it, and you're like, oh, shit. Like, this is when things – plus, like, I loved it extra knowing that they had to actually carry that shit down there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they're down there, and – in the very beginning, they were talking about their friend that they called the mole who um, went missing. Like, he went down there to uh, – he would always go through and, and check out the tunnels, but this one tunnel he wouldn't go to. Eventually, he got curious. He went, and he never came back. So they're down there, and all of a sudden, like, he's just there. And, like, no one's seen him. Like, Yeah. And they're just like, oh, hi. Like – I mean, they, they act appropriately freaked out. But at the same point, they were so, were so fucked. Like we have nowhere else to, to go. go. Like so, you yeah. just you kind of have to. And they even asked that guy, Papillon. He's like, "Do you trust? Like, do you trust this guy?" He's yeah. like, "Do we have a choice?" Yeah. You know, like I, I kind of like that where they didn't completely blindly follow him, but it, it was like very. That was another sign. It was like just very eerie. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I actually. So I skipped ahead a little bit um, to the point where she reads the inscription, the abandon all hope ye who enter. Yeah. That was where it really clicked for me. Like, I was thinking while we were watching it, like, oh, some of this stuff, like, 
going down the hole. It felt like Dante. And then when they, she said that, I was like, okay. And then later on, some of the other stuff I had already mentioned started clicking. And yeah. after that, of course, looked it up and confirmed everything. I was like, oh, yeah. that was the moment that really sold it for me. I was like, oh, shit. Um, yeah. I can't imagine the feeling. If I was someone not her as motivated... And the other inscriptions, like, you have to crawl on your belly like a serpent. Um, yeah, yeah. It was, like, crawl crawl, uh, crawl like a serpent into the belly of the beast or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, I would be shitting myself. Like, straight up. And I know they can't really go backwards at that moment. Yeah. But still, like, could you imagine being in that situation? Like, uh, that 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 was a scary thought. Like, you're like, if I was part of that group, I'd really be like, are we legit in yeah. hell? Like, what's going on? And considering on? that, like, every... So, they're literally... They just keep going down. The only way out is down. But then, like, they were trying to figure out when they were looking at that tablet in the church, yeah. it was, like, 313 feet is what they believed used to be halfway between heaven and hell. Yeah. Um. So, but they're, like, we're, like, a thousand feet down. down. Yeah. Like... That's pretty damn deep. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. Like I said, that's the moment where even I was like, ooh, shit's about to get real. Yeah. And it definitely gets progressively worse after they do that. But I'm like, man, that's, yeah. ooh, that's a creepy scene. Yeah. So they eventually do find the stone. So, like I said, they, they go in to this area and they find this, like, Knights Templar kind of guy completely perfectly preserved they go into another area and they find all these riches and gold and everything and then the stone was hidden in plain sight because yeah. everyone would think about the gold so you know she she gets the stone but then someone decides to try to open the gate and it's a trap yeah you know and you know everything just falls apart and you know now they have the stone that can heal it healed the girl um, and then she eventually had to put it back and she wound up being the person being able to heal yeah. them. Yeah. That. So do you think she kind of keeps that ability after they leave? I don't know. Cause remember when they were about to go down to the next level and it had on the thing on the wall it had above as above so below and she yeah. basically say what's in me is what's out of like you know yeah kind of thing so basically i guess she took it in to her because you notice like it's kind of like one of those things well she took the stone out is it really the stone or is it her because she's the oh, one yeah. she's the one who healed the girl was well, it actually the stone at that point i or? mean and that that is kind of the point of the saying yeah but i'm saying once they got out of yeah. Because, does do she you keep, think she really could knows? still do it? Because that would be very interesting. Like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That would be it. What would be would have would have been kind of cool is if like they're like interview like twenty years later and she looks exactly the same. Yeah. They like do something else with that little piece because I'm like, what well, actually what happened? Ha yeah. yeah. Um, my final is kind of that that demon hell like the Satan the stone creatures like. That's where everything else has been definitely creepy. Uh, but now you see these, like, monstrous things, and you're like, what the fuck? Like, every time you think you've seen something creepy, 
it adds another layer to it. And yeah, when that demon like comes alive and bites him in the neck, whew, yeah, that was creepy as shit. And then, and the devil just roaming around there. I'm like, oh, that's really. It was interesting. They went so. They didn't, like, throw it in your face. It was Dante's thing. And even a devil's throne, it was just, like, a random wooden chair. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it wasn't anything elaborate, like, this big, like, set piece. So it was, like, I liked the subtleness of that scene, and I liked... You knew those things were going to... Something was going to happen, because they were too zoomed in on them. But, yeah, they were creepy looking, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't have any more scenes, but, like, one thing I was actually thinking... um, like, as we're watching this. So, you know, it's a horror movie, whatever. Like, you were saying, like, they kind of did, like, um, a roundabout way of, like, Dante's Inferno and, and, and things like that. And, like, it's definitely, yeah, you have all these people and all these things are happening to them. But, you know, as, like, more of a scientific kind of thing, you kind of wonder if these are all hallucinations. Like, they're underground. Very they're, far. you know... There's probably lack of oxygen, like they're probably hypoxia, and you know, when you don't have that amount of oxygen, you do start to hallucinate. Like, could it be something that they're all hallucinating down there? Well, that's the idea of the as above, so below, below. because all of them had something that they would have considered a sin. Like the guy Papillon, he was responsible for his friend getting caught in the fire. Yeah. Uh, The guy who got his neck bit he left his brother in that cave when he said he was going to get help yeah. he was too scared the girl felt feels bad because her dad had called her before he hung himself and yeah. she didn't pick up because she didn't want to be bothered like yeah. all of them had something, something that was a yeah. so it's like in their deepest darkest like both metaphorically and literally they're in the deepest darkest place they're reaching the their, themselves yeah yeah it's like you go through hell and that's the other idea is hell is what you make. It's yeah. just like heaven. It's what you make of it. So that was the worst thing. Like some of them were claustrophobic. Yeah. Claustrophobia set in. Like it's all, uh, you know, who. That's why, like, the thing with the Philosopher's Stone, like, they came out the end. They came out the other end, but it's like, you know, they came out that stone, the, the, uh, the manhole cover that weird reverse way. Yeah. So you're like, is it different? I, I don't know. I assume that the story was like it wasn't supposed to just be a sim- symbolism. But it could it could have been. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It, it definitely is a little more for interpretation. Yeah. But what about uh, Kills? What was your favorite one? Um, so, like I said, there wasn't too many. So I went with Papillon. Yeah. Yep, me too. Because, you know, you have the burning car, his friend's in the car. Like, he goes towards it, and all of a sudden, like... He gets sucked into the car, and then the car does that kind of, like, like, yeah, yeah, implodes, and then his feet are just sticking up out of the ground, and you're like, what just happened? Well, that that was after Abandon All Hope, and that, I I distinctly remember one of the punishments in Dante's Inferno was people's, it's a symbolism for, like, I forget what it was, but basically, yeah, like, once I saw his feet, I was like, oh, that's... Yeah. Um... Yeah, that that was my favorite. So, what about your the worst? Um, I spent the hanging of the father just because you don't really, yeah, don't really see too much. See, I went with uh, Benji. Mm-hmm. I fell for that guy the most. I felt yeah, so he was, bad. He was really nice. I liked him. He was probably the character other than the main chick like that I liked the most. Mm-hmm. And poor guy, like he gets drugged along. He's claustrophobic. He's He's getting messed up left and right. Because then he get his uh, he got his hand sliced open from something. Yeah. 
Um, I don't, was it from the bone or was it from something else? I can't remember, but, you know, he's getting messed up left and right. And then that crazy bitch, like, screams at him when mm-hmm. he's at that wall and he falls to his death. Like, I felt bad for that guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was definitely the worst, just because I liked him. Yeah. Yeah. So, any other fun facts? Oh, or? yeah. I got a couple. I mean, I, I've touched on a lot of them, mm-hmm. but... It should be worth noting. Uh, So I already mentioned that obviously it's the first one. I could literally go room by room by room of all the things and how they match up to Dante's Inferno. I'm not going to do that. Um, It should be noted that the guy who plays George actually did suffer from claustrophobia, like like a little bit. Yeah. So they did have to keep stopping and having them do breathing exercises to get over it. Yeah. Like... Could you imagine if you like you're you have a fear of spiders and they're like, all right, you're gonna be starring in this movie, but you're gonna have real spiders crawling all over you. Like, are you gonna be cool with that? Yeah. And you said the budget was how much? Four million? Five. Five. So he probably wasn't making a ton. I mean, it's a it is a cool. It's a movie. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, if you're when you want to be a serious actor, you're gonna have to kind of suck it up. Yeah. So, like I said, I already mentioned this is the first film with permission from the French mm-hmm. government to uh, film in the catacombs. Uh, there is some... Uh, one second. This, so this movie actually, like, and this was another thing that I remember seeing this. This was never filmed for critics beforehand. So, like, a lot of people had, like, weird expectations. Mm-hmm. I remember that in, in the... Uh, I, and I don't get why. Like, I didn't think it was amazing. I didn't think it was bad. But I, I don't know. That seems like a weird thing. Like, why don't yeah. you film it for, screen it for critics? Um, yeah, and then the only other piece, and it's a smaller one. Um, <laughs> you know PewDiePie, right? Mm-hmm. So he actually did a promotion for this where he traveled through Paris catacombs, like, with a camera, like, in promotion for his film. I thought that's just a really weird odd little thing yeah that like a way to promote it is using the biggest youtuber in the world yeah so like i said everything else there's tons of interesting facts but they're all tied to dante's inferno yeah and i could go on for 20 minutes like that yeah so all right so now what uh what did you you score this one uh i guess a b plus okay i'm right there too i initially probably would have given this a c plus the Dante's Inferno, now when I look back and I think about all the creepy little things, there is an uneasiness I have throughout the movie. And knowing the Dante link, it, it definitely ups it for me. Yeah. So um, if you have no love for Dante and you don't know that, you may not like it as much. Yeah. But I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, it's definitely a good movie. Yeah. All right, so I'm pretty curious. Uh, what do you go with with your myth for this week? this week so i was looking back uh like the things that we did before and kind of realized we haven't done any french myths yeah that's true um a lot I of mean, american I indian mean, you've done a lot <laughs> you've done a lot of native american stuff um but yeah we, we didn't touch any french yeah so this actually i did not realize this originated from the french and it also comes with an architecture lesson interesting any idea what it could be back in notre dame no 
in the realm. Phantom of the Opera? No. Uh, it's a creature. Ah. Uh, architecture. Oh, gargoyles. Yeah. 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 I did not know they were French. Yeah. So. So a gargoyle is a living monster made of like a stone-like substance. And they're like that during the day. And at night, they actually shed that stone mm -hmm. to become more like fleshy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's been said that gargoyles only come alive to fend off evil, which would explain them being found on churches commonly. Yeah. And there is the possibility that gargoyles just look evil just to fend off like bad intruders. Now, there are some legends that say gargoyles are a type of lesser guardian angel that's sometimes considered to be an abomination due to the fact that they could be half angel, half demon. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, but it says no one actually knows if gargoyles are evil or good. They're just kind of these scary creatures. They're just kind of like protectors. They, yeah, they're watchers, basically. Yeah. So gargoyles come in many different shapes and sizes. Being made out of stone, they tend to have different shades of gray skin. All gargoyles have wings on their back. Some have smaller wings than others. But gargoyles can also have red skin. Now, the red-skinned gargoyles are usually smaller and have tusks protruding from their mouths. They also have large or small wide pointy ears, and most gargoyles also have visible cracks on their body just because, you know, they're depicted as having, like, they're made of stone. Yeah. Um, so the more hideous and frightening an appearance, an appearance is better to scare off all sorts of dark creatures. At night, they come to life to protect um, people while they're asleep and vulnerable. And the winged gargoyles can fly around the whole area to cover an entire village or town as well as the churches. As the sun rises, gargoyles resume their place as guardians during the day where they're, um, they're seen to frighten off you know, uh, anything, yeah. anything. Yeah. Uh, one myth dating back to ancient Greece is that gargoyles can purify tainted water. And seeing uh, how many of the gargoyles like that we know today in architecture serve as rain spouts, yeah. um, they were thought to purify the water descending from the skies to prevent disease and foul water supplies. There is a French legend that sprang up around the time of St. Romanus, which is like 631 AD. He was a former chancellor of uh, King Colotaire II, who was made Bishop of Rouen. Relates how he delivered the country um, around Rouen from a monster called a gargouille. Gar gargou it's French. Gar okay. Gar gargouille. Gar <laughs> I, I did look it up. Gargoy. Okay. That's that's how it's, it's like a strigoy. Pretty much. It it's spelled G A R G O U I L L E. Gargoy. But the yeah, but it's like gargoy, yeah. is how it's spelled. So la gargoy is said to have been a typical dragon with bat-like wings, a long neck, and the ability to breathe fire from its mouth. Multiple versions of the story are given that says either St. Romanus either subdued the creature with a crucifix or he captured it with the help of a volunteer. And the monster was led back to Rouen and burned, but its head and neck were not burned because it was used to being 
breathing fire, so it was, like, tempered that way. And the head was mounted on the walls of the newly built church to scare off evil spirits used for protection. And what was the church's name again? Um, it was just in Rouen. Okay. Was the area? But this was supposed to be the first. Note. This was the myth. This was the myth behind. Okay. Gar like gargoyles. Gotcha. This dragon. Um, now the name gargoyle comes from, like I said, gargoy. Um, now I also saw that. This dragon spouts water from its mouth, causing floods. So that kind of relates to the actual gargoyle and architecture. Um, and the, you know, gargoyles are the stone decorations that were originally representations of this monster. And in French, gargoyle means throat or gullet. Okay. So powers and abilities of a gargoyle are immor immortality. You know, they don't get sick. They don't die. They apparently can take hum like a humanish form. Uh, they can fly, camouflage because they can blend in with inanimate gargoyles. Yeah, and, you know they just kind of turn to stone. Um, endurance because they're made of stone. There's nothing that really can hurt their unless they turn into flesh. Um, and apparently, sometimes gargoyles can turn other beings into stone by touch. And it says that petrification can be slow, spreading like an infection if the wound was inflicted by a gargoyle's claw. Yeah. Now, they do have some weaknesses. Uh, they have to keep a close proximity to their home structure. So if it's a church or anything like that, like, they can't venture too far. Otherwise, they have this, com you know, compulsion to turn back or they return to, like, their inanimate stone yeah. gargoyle. And sunlight is supposed to be like it doesn't kill them, but it just sunlight kind of turns them back to stone. So that's why they're night creatures. Yeah. <clears throat> so now on to the architecture that relates to the gargoyles. Uh, gargoyles are carved or formed to be grotesque with a spout designed to convey water from the roof and away from the side of the building, preventing rainwater from running down the masonry walls and eroding the mortar between them. Yeah. So architectures often use multiple gargoyles on buildings to divide the flow of the rainwater and to minimize the damage from the rainstorm. Yeah. Now a trough is cut into the back of the gargoyle and the rainwater typically exits through the open mouth. And they usually have elongated necks because that determines the, the length of the gargoyle um, determines how like how far the yep. water goes away from it. So gargoyles are usually lumped into one category as like a strange and horrific carving um, on stationary buildings serving as spiritual gardens guardians these stone monsters watch over the city by night and observe all that pass them and while all the creatures are known as gargoyles true gargoyles are only water spouts so okay. the when you see when they're not constructed as a water spout and only served as like, like an ornamental, yeah, yeah. It's, it's called a grotesque. Okay. So sometimes they're also called chimeras or bosses. So, but yeah, I'll, okay. get, to, I'll get to that. But, um, so yeah, so uh, technically, even though we call them all gargoyles, technically the gargoyle is the water spout. So, yeah. Because, you know, the gargoyle, it's... Kind of like the uh, the sound that it makes when the water it's a gargle okay. when the water comes out. So if it's if it's just the statue, it's a technically a grotesque. Okay. So, but both ornamental and unornamental water spouts 
uh, projecting from the roofs at the parapet level were common devices, like I said, used to shed the rainwater until the early 18th century. Um, after that, more buildings used drain pipes to carry the water away. And because they were so heavy, sometimes they would fall off and cause damage. Yeah. So that's when they kind of got away from the gargoyles. Now, some gargoyles do uh, date back to ancient Greece and Rome, and they were constructed out of terracotta instead of more of a stone. Yeah. Many medieval cathedrals include gargoyles and chimeras, and one of the most famous examples is Notre Dame, where yep. we have been. Unfortunately, is no more. It burned down. Oh, yeah. When yeah. did that happen? That happened... Like two years ago? Yeah. I, I mean, I thought they were able to, like, control it a little bit. It didn't. I, know, it I don't think it... It destroyed a lot of the building. Yeah. But... So gargoyles take many forms, and a large number of them are depicted as chimeras, which are bizarre hybrid creatures mixing different animal parts, including griffins, which are lion and eagles, harpies, which are half woman, half bird, and other abstract mixtures. And many of the hundreds of gargoyles that were on Notre Dame were chimeras. And it's these type of gargoyles, which is what people think of when you think of gargoyle. Yeah. You know what I mean? I didn't realize this in, in, until then, but, you know, whenever someone says gargoyle, I think of that creature with the wings and the horns sure. and things like that. But yeah. it can technically can be anything. Anything that's a spout. That's a spout, basically, yeah. And they actually weren't added to Notre Dame until the late 1800s, but they were designed to look like from the Middle Ages. Yeah. So they were like an after fact. Okay. So the oldest known gargoyle is 13,000 years old, and it's located in Turkey. Huh. What do you think it's, what do you think that animal is? In Turkey? Yeah. Uh, like an eagle? A crocodile. Okay. Yeah. So the or Egyptians. Or was it their way of trying to do a dragon? You never know. They say crocodile. So the Egyptians and the Greeks were almost always used lions, um, whereas the Egyptians used them and just carved hieroglyphs of them. So the Temple of Zeus had 102 marble gargoyles, which were lion heads, yeah. and 39 of them still like stand today. Yeah. Lion heads were on many of the buildings in Pompeii, and lion heads were the norm in ancient Greece and remained popular until the middle... Um, like the medieval times due to their association with the sun. Yeah. But they eventually lost their popularity when lions became associated with the sin of pride. So yeah. the church has kind of got away from that. And it's very rare to see cats, like domesticated cats as gargoyles because their association with witchcraft. Yeah. Because they're usually on churches. Yeah. Dogs were a common gargoyle because they were faithful to their masters, loyal and intelligent, which made good guardians, as well as wolves because yeah. of the link to dogs. And eagles were popular um, because they were claimed, I didn't know this, supposedly the only creature that could slay dragons. Yeah, the, I mean, they were more like griffins were like basically an eagle, a mythological eagle gotcha. style. Yeah. So, there were some interesting New Age gargoyles. So, there's a 12th century church in Scotland called the Paisley Abbey, which was renovated in the 1900s and had several gargoyles that were replaced um, 
And one of them was replaced with an alien from the movie Aliens, so which I saw. Xenomorph. You just saw. Yeah, yeah. the Xenomorph. Um, and the chapel of Bethlehem in France have several gargoyles inspired by Mogwai from really? Gremlins. Yes. Chapel of France, you said? The uh, chapel of Bethlehem in France. So I saw, I saw those and I was like, oh, that's kind of a cute little. Oh, yeah. No, they definitely are. Oh, yeah, that legit is. I didn't actually look at the picture. Oh, it's Gizmo. It's Gizmo. <laughs> so we have to go back there so we can see this. And he's eating a chicken leg. Is he really? Yeah. Is he really? Oh, my God. Yes, yeah. he is. He's eating a chicken leg. That is awesome. Um, I love it. Huh. What is that? It's either a spaceman or something. Oh, I thought it was that's a, a... Oh, no, that's a butt. That's what I thought it was. That's a butthole. That is a butthole. That's interesting. No. Yeah, so, it, yeah, and it can... Um, it, they can also be people, and sometimes they... Yeah, um, it, can, it can, like you said, it can, it can be, be anything. anything. It's just, yeah, but, you know, w when people typically think gargoyle, they think that Notre Dame style. Yeah. Well, it's funny. So, I don't know about you. When I thought gargoyles as a kid there was the cartoon gargoyles yeah that was like really famous um the tales from the dark side one of the small clips do you remember the gargoyle family one no where it's the guy who was dexter's dad he's an artist and he okay. gets mugged and saved by this winged creature and then he starts dating the chick but it turns out she is the gargoyle so that was always that's one of still one of my favorite creature yeah. designs and of course, in Gremlins and Gremlins Two, when the one goes out, but it's covered in cement, it's like the flying. Yeah. Gremlin, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And he goes out in the building, and then turns into the gargoyle like that. Maybe that's where they got that, well, that's. Well, this. Or I wonder if that actually is. Yeah. Is basically kind of really close to what it looked like in the movie, like because it was leaning forward. Like that, that is that. funny. So I'm pretty sure that's where they got it. That's where they got it. That's pretty funny. Um. Yeah, I always knew they were supposed to be protectors, and I know they're associated with churches, which is why I was always kind of curious, like, well, why do they look like monsters? Yeah. Um, yeah, it is kind of cool. Like, it's so cool that back in the day, like, they're like, we need a way to get rid of this, but we want it to look cool. Like, it's, yeah. it's amazing how old the fascination with, like, a mo monstrous-looking thing yeah. sucks. They We went away from that. But I get it. Like I said, for the size. Heavy. And also, like, yeah, yeah, it's like, just get water away with drain pipe yeah and i also did see because like too they said especially back then like a lot of people you know didn't read they didn't read so yeah. they kind of looked like things were done in pictures yeah. for them and that was supposed to be a way like the churches would always have them that was supposed to be a way to like get people to like come to church be like these are your protectors like you know. well here's the thing the beautiful and this is something that can never be understated we went to notre dame and that was one of the places that was, like, awe-inspiring yes. for me. Like, it was still probably my favorite place in Paris. And you figure we were outside of it. We look up. I mean, I'm we might have noticed, but they're so far away, but they're so detailed. Yeah. It's amazing they decided to still do that much detail. Because it's not like people back then were carrying binoculars. Mm -hmm. Like, so they could never appreciate. But like you're saying, they just look up and see these, like, wing things. Yeah. Oh, it's like, so... The imagination, I could just imagine. It's almost like when they were built on buildings too high, you're like, what's the purpose? Mm -hmm. 
other than being pushing water. But it's like, well, why would you go through all that trouble? Yeah. I love I love that story of them. But uh, no, the origins of those, I definitely didn't realize they were French. But I always did associate them with like cathedrals. Yeah. So. Yeah. Babe, I was looking while you were talking. A lot of the downspouts, they have gargoyle exit heads. Hmm. I'm getting some for the house. That's fine. So, yeah. <laughs> nice. Very, uh, keeping it very French. I like it. Yeah. We oui, be. Oui. All right. So, we're moving on to the place. I can only imagine. You will never <laughs> figure out where my spooky place is. <laughs> Considering that we did a movie about the catacombs, I figured I'd cover the catacombs. The best time to cover yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I actually learned a lot of interesting stuff about the catacombs themselves. So, apparently Paris's earliest burial grounds were in the southern outskirts of um, the left bank of the city. Okay. Now, it was eventually left in ruins around the 5th century, and Parisians eventually abandoned the settlement for the marshy right side of the bank, or, okay. like, right side of the city, basically, um, from around, like, the 4th century. And the first known settlements there were, like, on higher ground because it was a marshy area. Now, they eventually, like, kind of filled that area in around the 10th century and instead of burying its dead like away on the outskirts of the city they decide to move the settlements to the like the of the cemeteries into the center yeah. of the city so most of the central cemeteries um they had a burial ground notre dame de bois okay. church which became property of the saint opportune parish after the original church was demolished in the ninth century yeah um during the norman invasion so they became associated with saint innocence from around 1130 yeah um and became the city's principal cemetery so this was the main place now it eventually started filling up it started overflowing and to make room for the burials they exhumed the people who were long dead and started packing their bones into the roof and the walls of the building inside the cemetery. Oh. But by the end of the 18th century, the burial ground was about six and a half feet tall of just bones. bones. And it was just, it was really bad because of these bones laying around. Apparently people were starting to get sick from them. Sure. So it was... Like, the late 18th century, they decided to create three new large-scale suburban burial grounds in the outskirts of the city and to condemn all existing parish cemeteries within the city. And, so when, and when is this again? This was the late 18th century. Okay. So, so, so late 1700s. 1700s, yeah. So, wait. So, one thing going back. Um, you know, I, I thought I read... And you and I talked about when we went on that tour, the majority of the bodies were from the plague. Not all the, not all the, no, not so, all yeah. of them. But I thought there like, were there was some from the plague. Yeah. So, but basically, they um, they condemned burials within the city limits, and they needed to. Um, 
they needed to move all the bones when the basement to the wall of La Innocence, which adjoined the cemetery, collapsed under the weight of the mass graves. Yeah. So the cemetery was close to the public, and the burials were forbidden after 1780. Okay. Now, they couldn't figure out what they were going to do with all these bones. So much of the left bank, which was where they originally had their little settlement, was rich in uh, Lutean limestone deposits. Now, they would excavate that, and that's actually the stone that built most of the city. So, but they decided to do it out of the left bank because it was in the suburban location away from the main city sure. center. So, mine renovations and cemetery closures were both issued with the jurisdiction of the police lieutenant general Alexander Lenoir, who had been directly involved with the creation of the Mine Inspection Service. So, Lenoir endorsed the idea of moving the Parisian dead to the subterranean passages that were renovated during 1780. The quarries were a small part of the labyrinth and extended under the city for approximately 1,976 acres. Mm. So that's a lot of tunnel that they got going on there. But you said that's where they they used most of that to build the city. Yeah, yeah. Like that's where most of the stone came from, was from underground. Um, So... With, there was a well uh, within the walled property above that the principal subterranean passageways that was dug to receive the bones from the church that collapsed and to transform it into a mausoleum. Um, they had like the headstones and the sculptures and the artifacts from the, formal, the former yeah. cemetery. So uh, the opening ceremony was April 7th of that year and there was a route between the innocence um and like another area where they took the bones that they had a nightly procession of black cloth covered wagons that carried all of these bones because they didn't want to carry them during During the day day because people would be like furious about it it took two years to empty the majority of the cemeteries and there's about Six million bones in yeah. the catacombs today. So a few questions I have. I'm not done yet. Oh, okay. I have Dear like God. five pages. What if I just ask you a question? No. I have to wait till I'm done, <laughs> and then you can ask questions at the end, okay? <laughs> yes, lecturer. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> So the catacombs in the first years were disorganized um, and bones were just kind of everywhere. So this guy, uh, he has a very long French name, so we're going to call him Thurry. Okay. Okay. Just for sure. Let's call him Teddy. Okay. So Teddy. It's Louis de Thurry. So Teddy, director of the Paris... Oh, if it's Louis, then let's call him Louis. Okay. We'll do that. Whatever. (laughs) Louis T. Louis T. All right. T-Dog. So, Louis was director of the Paris Mine Inspector Service from 1810, had renovations done that would transform the caverns into a visitable mausoleum, like we see today. In addition to directing the stacking of the bones and femurs into patterns, like you see, like, you know, they have, like, crosses, that one was pretty cool. It was, like, it looked like a basket made of, like, tibias. Uh, You mean... 
That? That one, yes, with the skulls, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at our pictures from when we actually went there. Yeah. So this guy, Louis T., he was he an architect, a city planner? Like, what was he? He was the director of the Parisian Mine um, Inspector Services. Interesting. So he okay. was just like a public servant. Um, so he, like I said, he and he used decorations that he could find, you know, with the plaques sure. and, and things like that. Um, he also made put tablets and archways with warnings and, abscri- and inscriptions and sure. stuff like that on there. Uh, the bones, which were previously loosened, you know, were made into these, you know, different facades and things like that. Um, and he wanted to make like an educational area, so which I didn't see these. He had two cabinets built in the style of traditional cabinets of curiosity. One was de- dedicated to mineralology, mineralogy, mm-hmm. and the other pathology. And the pathology cabinet had specimens that referred to like bone illnesses and deformities, mm. which I thought was pretty cool. But I was like, I didn't see anything like that. Well, we also didn't do the tour. The tour, yeah. I we should have done the tour. Um. And despite the length of the tunnel um, in that underground area, only a small section is open to the public. Yeah. So this tiny portion is called the Denifer Rocher Ossuary, Ossuary, which is most popularly called the Catacombs. Um, And it's one of the most popular tourist spots in Paris. Sure. And um, the, even though... The catacombs is technically the area just where the bones are. Everyone, even Parisians, just consider the whole tunnel system the catacombs. The catacombs. Yeah. So the catacombs became a curiosity for like more privileged Parisians. Um, Count Artois, which who later became Charles the Tenth of France during 1787. Okay. Public visits. Uh, started after its renovations around 1810. They first allowed only a few times a year with permission and authorization from the mine inspectors, but later more more frequently um, visits were overseen and um, they got more visitors. Yeah. The catacombs were closed completely around 1833 because the church's opposition of exposing human rela- remains to public display. So yeah. they didn't want people like seeing all this. It was opened again for four visits a year at 1850, but the public demanded um, caused the government to allow monthly visits in 1867 and biweekly visits on the first and third Saturday of each month of 1874 and then weekly visits during the 1879 1889 and 1900 world fair expedition um they later opened for regular visits but then after there was a vandalization like issue they were close to the public during september 2009 but then reopened december later of that year so um they've had multiple studies in the catacombs um, and they were looking at like the flora and the fauna, and there's actually uh, cave dwelling crustaceans. I was gonna say, like, I can only, I mean, you're in a mine to begin yeah. with, 
But going back to what you said, like, so when it was still just like there was an issue with just the bones and people getting sick from them, did they, did you read anything about like, did they clean these bones with anything? No, not that I know. Um, like, and, and I'm an idiot. Like, I don't know how long it takes for everything to come off the bone. That's biological. That's not just the actual carbon. But, I, yeah, like, at what point, like, because we, I said a lot of them were from the plague, a lot yeah. of them were from these other bodies. But, like, was there a cutoff, like, it had to be so old? So old, yeah, I'm not sure. But it said, like, today they still have pathological research continue um, to ensure the uh, preventative conservation of the bones, like, because especially is like, a humid underground. Yeah, I I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how you... How they stay, stay so well preserved? I mean, I guess humidity it's like wet is wet and moist. Yeah. I guess that's good for bones. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Like I would think dry. That's what I would think too. I but... mean, dry might brittle them out, but like, yeah. Once I thought like humid and it is kind of like a cave. Like, I don't know if some kind of shit is growing off of that. Yeah. I don't want to know. Yeah. What worries me, and I know it probably is very, but if you're using old like plague victims. If there's something in those bones yeah. that, like, still carries the plague, like, and some shit grows off that, I don't know. That's the thing that was always, like, kind of, like, ooh. Yeah. So, now I have some spooky stuff about the, cave, okay. the catacombs. Um, so. Wait, one other question. When they put all the bones together, what are they holding them with? probably mortar or something like that okay like i was just curious like if they said if it said anything about that and is there any is there any way like could someone like request to eventually be put into the catacombs so there may be someone okay. in this list that is in the catacombs um so due to the old age uh the quarries are um the quarries not a part of the official catacombs okay. have been deemed unsafe by Ooh. Parisian officials. Okay. But the size and the length of the tunnel make it very difficult to keep secret societies, thieves, artists, and, and everything like that out. So, well, How many? A couple thousand acres? It's ridiculous. So, it's yeah. yeah. It's like over, it's almost 2,000 yeah. acres. So in 2004, um, now this, this was interesting with the camera and the dog and the phone and all this stuff. So in 2004, Parisian police were assigned to do a training exercise in a previously uncharted part of the catacombs um, beneath the Playas de Chalot. So they entered the catacombs through a drain and officers first came across a sign that read building site, no access. A bit further in, a camera that was actively recording images of those who pass the officers approached the camera and a recording of a dog barking was triggered hmm. so it was probably just set up as a uh, as a warning deterrent yeah. yeah so the police descended deeper into the tunnels and discovered a 500 square meter cavern with a fully equipped cinema it included <laughs> yeah listen it included this way it included a giant cinema screen, projection equipment, chairs, a handful of films from, like, old classics to recent thrillers. Um, so someone basically turned it into an Ooh, amphitheater. Yeah. yeah. 
So in the next room, police discovered a fully stocked bar, <laughs> a restaurant complete with tables and chairs, and professionally installed electricity and three phone lines. How did nobody... Uh, well, you, you figure this is unchartered, so yeah, like, but there's I'm so many like, tunnels. Yeah, so yeah, it was like true. an underground thing. So three days later, police returned with esc es experts from the French Board of Electricity to try to figure out where the power was coming from. At this point, the cables had been cut, and there was a note laying on the floor saying, don't try to find us. Mm. And there was a group called La, La U, UX. They took responsibility for mm. all this. Now, I'm a little upset about this because this happened in 2015 when we were there. I don't know if it was the exact same time. But Airbnb paid $350,000 as a publicity stunt to offer customers a chance to stay overnight in the catacombs. You know, I don't think I would have wanted to do that. You want to do that? No, are you sure? Are you sure? Because there's some stuff here that you might want to, yeah. So, and again, you stole my thunder. Because I put As Above, So Below was released in 2014 and was the first production that secured the permission to film in the yeah. catacombs from the French government. They aim to use no alterations of the environment with the exception of, you said, the piano and the car, which they did set on fire. Um, now, one of the creepiest things is that in the early 1990s, a group of cataphiles, which are people who study and explore the Paris catacombs, were walking through the dark chambers of a cemetery. They happened upon a video camera on the ground. So... The video camera had footage on it, and they watched, and they heard all kinds of disturbing noises. Now, it became apparent that there was a man holding the camera who was lost. He had no idea how to escape. In the video, the everyone could clearly hear the man was, like, going a little kind of crazy. And the video just ends. The man drops the camera on the ground and to this day, no one knows what happened to him or if he ever got out alive. Did they identify the man? No. And as we said, many believe that the film Above So Below was inspired by this tragedy. They just kind of went to the catacombs they and no one ever that footage? That I don't know. And this happened when? Nin the 1990s. So, and also um... Go on. Uh, I just I had to get my spot. Um, so there's also another legend that says um, after midnight in the catacombs, the walls begin to speak. Okay. Basically that disembodied voices will try to persuade you to venture deeper and deeper into the catacombs until you cannot find your way out. Interesting. So I guess that goes by the whole, you know, there's six million dead bones there. Yeah. It's probably some, some juju going on. Also, it could just be, you know, now the nighttime predators, rodents, bats, who knows what else, are all making their noise and they're the most active. All I know is when we go back, I'm bringing my jar of salt. <laughs> well, you need a lot of salt, babe. Look, make a circle. Got my circle. <laughs> We're Sam and Dean when you need them. You got to step out of it at some point. <laughs> um. So during the French Revolution, a man named uh, Philibert Aspert 
was a doorman at the Val de Gris Hospital. Now, he was on a mission to fetch like a certain type of liquor from the cellar, but somehow ended in the paddock, the in the catacombs. Yeah. So he walked around. It's pitch black, you know, down there because this was before they had like all the electricity and stuff. And he only had a single candle. He became lost and confused. And they many think he was drunk at the time when this happened. But his candle blew out, so he was in complete darkness. So it was impossible for him to escape, and his body was not found until 11 years later. Hmm. So they were able to identify him by the key ring hanging from his belt. Now, he was buried in the catacombs at the same exact place that he died. And, uh, you know, these cataphiles of the catacombs say that each November 3rd, uh, Filbert's ghost comes back to haunt the catacombs. So I guess that's the day he died. Well, here's my deal. We've talked many times. One of the biggest like bad juju things are moving bodies and this and that. Mm-hmm. We've talked like if something happens in a big area, and you're talking people who died of plague. Yeah. Who knows how many terrible ways and all the remains. If there's ever going to be like one of the biggest places of energy, if, yeah, I feel like it's the catacombs. That's definitely, yeah. And I feel like just walking there, like it's a difference when you walk over, like say, like a terrible battlefield, like the like the the front lines during World War One or or like Antietam or any of the Civil War big battlefields where a lot of people died, where they claim, yeah, you don't see the bones, like it's underground. When you're walking through there, it's creepy enough. It is creepy. So your imagination is going to fill those gaps really fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and with all the bones, it took 12 years to move, to move everything yeah. and get all that um, together. So, this was kind of funny. This happened in 2017. So, a group of thieves used the catacombs to pull off a heist. They accessed an underground vault of a nearby apartment building. Mm-hmm. They drilled through the limestone of the wall of the catacombs and collected a vintage vintage wine collection of value of $275,000. I'm actually shocked that doesn't that happen more, more often. Yeah. So, and apparently the catacombs have been used in the past um, by deserters of Napoleon's army as a hideout. Okay. So, you know, they said it was used around World War II as well. And the French resistance used the tunnels, which traveled beneath most of Paris, to organize and plan attacks against the Nazis. And they actually did find that Nazis had several bunkers in the tunnels. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a fascinating place. Yeah. Um, uh, It's it's just ripe for creepiness. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, yeah, it's funny because, like, it's almost too on the nose to, like, say, like, oh, they've heard, you hear creepy things or you see creepy things. I'm sure yeah. there's creepy shit. Yeah. Like, it's almost, duh. Like, some of the other places we mentioned, like, where it's a random hotel or something, you don't expect it. Yeah. There, it's almost like you expect it yeah. fully. And you would buy anyone's story. Whether they see shit or not, you can believe they think they saw something. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a fascinating, like I said, it was definitely an... For good reason, it's one of the most widely viewed places. Yeah. And actually, so when we went, like, you have to stand in this long line, and there's these two, I don't know if you remember, like, these two, like, kind of triangle little buildings. Yeah. Um that you have to enter through, and then, like, you enter in the building, and then you pay, and then you go down. 
Um, they're actually called the Gates of Hell. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. All right. No, I, I was... I'm glad we finally got to it. And like I said, it's probably... Well, definitely has to be the most appropriate movie yeah. to cover it with. So, good selections. Yeah. got a tall order for me next week. Yep. <laughs> good job. Well, with that, everyone listening... We truly appreciate it. Uh, please comment below if you've ever been to the catacombs or if you see this movie and what your thoughts are. Um, and as always, you can follow us on any social media app. And please be sure to leave us a rating. And uh, don't forget to subscribe. With that, we're going to say have a good night. Until next time.